0: Thomas and the worship team setting the table for us this morning as we get into the Lord's Word. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 says As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. It's God's Word for God's people. Matthew Edmonds was an American rifleman and sharpshooter, and at the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens, he was one shot away from an unprecedented feat. Two days earlier, he had won the gold medal dominating the 50-meter prone position event and now he is one shot away from winning the gold in the three-position event. No person in history had ever won the gold in both of these events. Edmonds had built such a lead that as he prepared for the final shot, all he had to do was to hit the target anywhere on the sheet, and he would be the first to win the gold in both events and make Olympic history. He calmed his breathing and took aim at the target, and he slowly pulled the trigger and hit the bullseye dead center. He jumped up in apparent victory and he was confused as he looked over to the scores table and saw that he had received a score of a zero. He began to look around frustrated and he began to look to the judges and ask why he had been given a zero when he knew he'd hit the bullseye when in that moment he looked again at his target and he realized that he had done what in archery and in rifleman is called a cross target. He had shot at the target in the lane beside his instead of his own target. The shot disqualified him, and he received a zero from it, and he dropped from first place to eighth place in the event. In ministry, in life, in our walk with Christ, sometimes it is easy to get off target. To start aiming at the wrong things and this morning what I want us to do is to look at this little family of Mary Martha and Lazarus who pop up at different times in the Gospels and see how they remind us of how to live a life on target to see the things that they aimed at and know that how we can order our life in the same way and live life knowing 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 that we are after and aiming and shooting at the right target first target is to welcome Christ in. When we read the scripture this morning, it doesn't seem like it's a a huge thing, but the very first thing you notice is that Mary and Martha opened their home to Jesus. And that doesn't sound like a huge thing, but when you realize that the world had rejected Jesus, the Gospel of John says that he came to that which was his own, but his own received him not scripture tells us in Isaiah that when the Messiah come he was despised and rejected we know at his, his birth that the entire town of Bethlehem would close their doors to him forcing him to be born in a stable among the animals at the age of two the government will hunt him down trying to kill him and he will flee to Egypt and live as a refugee He began his ministry at the age of 30, and he will be rejected by his own people. The religious leaders who controlled Jerusalem reject him. He would weep over the city because they refused to receive him. He would once go to Samaria, and they would ask him to leave because they didn't want him there. He was rejected by his hometown of Nazareth, and Jesus would say, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. There's times in Scripture where his own family came to him and tried to take him away quietly because they didn't believe in who he was he would tell those around him that foxes and holes have foxes have holes birds of the air have the the, the nest to fit home in but I have no place to lay my head he is the creator of the universe yet most of his life he is rejected not welcomed or received but when he come to the home of Mary and Martha the scripture says they opened their home to him they welcomed him they invited him in So what does it mean to welcome Jesus, to invite him in? It doesn't mean in this scripture that he was just allowed to come in and be in a corner and don't bother anybody, but what you notice is that when they welcome Christ into their home, into their life, they give him the place of preemacy. They give him the place of power. And you learn quickly through scripture that Jesus, when we invite him in, when we welcome him in, that means we give him the place of sovereignty. We give him the place of supremacy. If we invite Christ into our life, he will not live in the fringe, but we have to put him in the center of our life. If we invite Christ into our marriage, Christ isn't just going to be around in the center and the fringes of your marriage, but he has to be in the center of it. If you invite Christ into the church, he's not just going to be on the fringes of the church here and there, but you have to make him the Lord of the church and let him have the place of supremacy and sovereignty but sometimes we begin church services and we do what we call an invocation and sometimes with the invocation we have this mindset that as we gather together that now we will do a prayer and we will invoke and we will invite God into our presence but that's not what we are doing when we do an invocation what we are doing is not inviting God into our presence but we are reminding ourselves that we as the church have come into the presence of the holy Lord God almighty it's our spirit and our soul that we are invoking because we have entered into the holy presence of god you see when we come together in our life or as a church and we invite christ in we have to make him master of the house because he is master of the house or he's not in the house has to be the place of supremacy and sovereignty. He is not a consultant. He's not a guest. He's not a visitor. He is the master. He is the Lord. It's not about what a pastor wants. It's not about what a board wants. It's not about what you want. If this is his house and it's about what he wants or he is not here. Now, I have no doubt that this afternoon, that if you invited me home to your house, that most of you would at some point look at me and say, you know what, Todd, make yourself at home. And, and you know, what you mean by that is, you know, we want you to feel welcome here and everything. But truth be told, you don't mean it and I know you don't mean it because if I truly made myself at home it would offend you if I came in and said you know what all right if I'm gonna be at home you know what that chair looks a lot more comfortable than this straight back chair you got me in so I want the recliner and I'm gonna sit in the recliner and if I'm at Glenn's house and I like you know nobody wants to watch the redskins is this purgatory or something let's find the cowboys and you know we'd watch the cowboys game and everything and all of a sudden he'd be a little getting riled up and everything he don't want to watch America's team and everything. So, you know, if, if I took over the TV, if I noticed in the refrigerator you had this last piece of pie that you were saving for your afternoon snack and everything, and I thought, you know what, that pie looks good. I believe I'll go ahead and eat it. All of a sudden you would be like, who invited this guy over here? Because even though you may say, make myself a home, you don't mean it. When I go home to my mom and dad's to this day, I know my mom and dad love me, and my mom and dad accept me unconditionally and everything, but I know when I go home, I am not the master of that house. I know that's my dad's chair, and I know that's my dad's remote, and I know what we're going to watch based on what time of day it is according to my dad's TV schedule. It's not about what I want because that's his domain. That's his house. When Andrew, our son, you know, moved out and got his own place and everything, I told him, you know, we sat down, we had one of these father-son moments because I wanted him to know, you know, son, the gravy train's over. Thank the Lord. You know, you're out of college, you got a job now, you know, you are on your own and everything, but I want you to know anytime you want to come home, you can come home. The door's always open, but realize when you come home, there are rules there because you are not master of that house. Your mama is and everything. And so you need to realize that and you need to know that when you come home, whose domain that is. And when we come together as a church, we have to remember whose domain we have entered into. This is not about us, but we have entered into the house of the Lord God Almighty. And when we give our life to Christ and we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's not, a just, it's not about not going to hell. It's about changing your life and making Him master of your life. He becomes master of the house. So many times we like to receive Jesus on our terms. We like to have Jesus around when it's convenient. And we like to accept Him in some piecemeal fashion and welcome Him on our terms, but He doesn't come like that. He comes as Lord or He doesn't come at all. So many times we're like the church of Laodicea that thought they were rich and thought they had all these good things going, but in reality Jesus says, I'm on the outside knocking, waiting for somebody to welcome me, somebody to invite me in, waiting for somebody to give me the place of sovereignty and supremacy in your heart, in your life, in your fellowship the first target is always to welcome christ to invite him in but realizing that that means to make him lord to make him master the second target is to simply be with jesus after jesus is welcomed and received you notice mary and martha have two very different approaches Martha all of a sudden is distracted by all the preparations while scripture tells us that Mary sits at Jesus' feet. And I have this picture in my mind of what's going on. Martha is getting busy and she's doing everything that has to happen. And I have this image in my mind of Martha and she is pulling out all the stops to make this like the meal of all meals to pull out all her good southern hospitality. She's got things going in the kitchen and the chicken is frying and she's mashed potatoes and the macaroni and cheese is going and the homemade biscuits are in the oven and she's got flour flying everywhere. She's got her apron on and she's getting the dinner ready and and I can also see her peeking out of the kitchen back into the room where mary's sitting there at jesus's feet and she's getting madder and madder she's making things and and she's pounding dishes and getting this out and i mean she wants this to be special this is jesus she's broke out the good china and we got china at our house we've been married 26 years we ain't never used i don't know who we waiting on and everything i mean but this is not a dixie plate meal she's brought out the good stuff and it's all spread out and, and she's doing all this pulling out all the stops and i can just see her mumbling and getting angrier and angrier as as she's doing all this work and and mary's not helping mary's sitting at at, at jesus's feet and and what's more is is not not just that Mary's not helping, but but Mary is out of place. She's, she's crossing some boundaries and some borders that she shouldn't be crossing because Mary, a woman, is taking the posture of a disciple and sitting at Jesus' feet. She wasn't supposed to be doing that. And Martha will protest Mary's not helping, but she's also protesting Mary's not in her place. And Jesus responds with saying, martha martha now it's never good in scripture when jesus says your name twice that's like when you get the whole name from your parents you know i knew when i got the richard todd you know things had gone off rail here and everything and and jesus looks and says martha martha You're worried about all this stuff and you're upset about all these things, but only one thing is needed and Mary has chosen what is better. He tells Martha, you're busy doing a lot of good things, but you are neglecting the best thing. And the one thing and the best thing that Jesus refers to is just being with him. A lot of Christians are busy serving God, doing many things in a lot of diverse places, and, and we have this program and this ministry, and we focus on outreach and sermons and Sunday school lessons and small groups and leadership development and, and music cantatas and worship bands and, and church growth, and we do all these things, and we focus on all these things, and we think we have to have all these things, and sometimes we start doing all these things, and we neglect the one thing that really matters to be with Jesus the secret of loving Christ and being on target is sitting at his feet listening to him share his heart not just going in and telling him what you want him to do but taking the time to stop and listen. It is a conversation, and conversations go both ways. Not only do we share our heart, but we have to stop and listen and let God share His heart with us. One of the things that, that I'm responsible for is working with people, men and women, who are in the process of, of becoming ordained. And it never fails that I'd say probably 90, 95% of the time, this issue comes up with just about every candidate that the more involved they get in ministry, as we meet with them and talk with them, they begin to talk about how what is getting neglected is their personal time with the Lord. Well, you know, now I'm busy, I'm doing this, and I've got this responsibility, and I've got this responsibility, and we have to rein them back in and hold them account because you can't get water from an empty whale and it won't be long before you dry up if all you're ever doing is sitting in the Word to get a sermon or to get a lesson, and, and and you've got to learn to guard that time, to be in your time with the Lord, and allow the Lord to speak with you, because you can do a lot of good things, but if you neglect the best thing, then all that eventually will run dry. But that's not just true for those who are in the process of ordination; that's true for all of us. You can live a a good life for so long in your own power and your own strength, and you can be a good person and you can be a moral person, but eventually it's all going to dry up if you don't learn to sit at the feet of Jesus and simply be a disciple of his and learn to share your heart with him and allow him to speak into your life. The greatest priority in life is to know Jesus. And when we know him, we are drawn to him, to love him, to serve him. And and that's what it means to sit at his feet. In the book of Acts, the observation that was made of the disciples is that they were unschooled and they were ordinary, but they had been with Jesus. Flip over to John chapter 11. And there is another scene that happens with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, their brother. John chapter 11, start at verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, is the same one who poured perfume on the Lord, wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Go down to verse 32, and it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. and and, and there's so much to unpack here and we may come back here at some point but in this dramatic scene Lazarus has died and there is grief and there is confusion and there is hurt death the ultimate enemy of God has taken someone that Jesus loves and and Jesus is disturbed the very next verse says that he weeps as he watches all that's happening and he knows what he's going to do but he is touched by the sorrow of Mary and Mark they have come out and they've accused him if you had been here then this would not have happened the one who created the universe and filled the ocean is wiping tears away now as he stands by the grave of a friend but the one who had said he is resurrection and life knows what he is about to do and he walks over to where Lazarus has been laid and he calls Lazarus forth and he brings him forth in resurrection giving him new life. And the next target is we have to remember is that Christ brings new life. us but in order for there to be resurrection in order for there to be new life something has to be put to death the problem we have a lot of times today is we want new life and we want resurrection power but we don't want to put anything to death we don't want to get rid of anything we don't want to sacrifice anything and it doesn't happen that way that is the temptation of satan when he comes to jesus in the wilderness and says i'll give you the world and you can have it without the cross But Jesus knows there's no new life, there's no resurrection, there's no salvation, there's no power from God without putting something to death. The center of our faith is the cross because we have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. There are things that have to be put to death. There are things that have to die in us so that we can experience the new life of Christ. The cross is the center of the faith and there are going to be times where we have dry spells and there's going to be times where our prayers feel like they bounce off the ceiling and there's going to be times where we go through suffering and there's going to be times where we have pain. But all this happens so that our agendas and our aspirations and our opinions and our preferences can die so that Christ can bring something new to life in us. It's out of the dying that there is a resurrection. It's out of death that there's new life, and we are built together in Christ. Out of this decay and disease, and, and Jesus gives us new birth. He gives us resurrection. He gives us life. The life giver is also the life taker you don't see that on many bumper stickers do you Paul said I die daily he said I am crucified with Christ therefore I no longer live but Christ lives in me whatever sin entangles you whatever threatens to pull you under This is the place where we are set free and given new life. It doesn't happen through self-help. It doesn't happen through so many steps. It happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the presence that sets us free from depression and sickness and disease. He is the presence of Jesus is where we are set free from addiction and pride and feelings of loneliness and feeling of inadequacy and pressure to measure the world's standard and anxiety and fear and all these things that have entangled us and wrapped us up. It's in Jesus Christ that we are set free and given new life. Jesus' first sermon, he stated his mission was to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captive, release from the darkness, the prisoners, to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, to give a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The target, it's transformation, it's new life in Christ. And that only happens when we learn to sit at his feet after we have invited him in. John chapter 12 is the next target. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrives at Bethany, John 12, 1. There Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead, and here a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, and Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her hair, and the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The last target is to worship jesus it's the heart of what this family is all about in this scene a feast is being given in jesus's honor and notice he is at the place of He's at the place of power. He's at the head of the table. And they are sitting around him celebrating the new life that Christ has brought. And when we come together week after week, we meet on Sunday because it's not just one Sunday a year that's Resurrection Sunday, but every Sunday we meet, it's about resurrection. And we come to sit at his feet. We've welcomed him in and we have come to worship him for the new life that he has brought to us and here is jesus and they are doing what the church does best They're having a meal. They're having a fellowship. They're having a feast. And they're full of disciples celebrating that Jesus has brought Lazarus. He's free from death and bondage. He's given him new life. And Mary is just so overcome with with adoration and worship of Jesus that she has a sealed flask of perfume, a pint of pure nard. It's extremely expensive. And she comes in and she pours it over Jesus his feet as if he were a king and the perfume begins to trickle down his body and it reaches his feet where she gets down at his feet and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair and the bible tells us that the room is filled with the fragrance of this perfume now this perfume is worth basically a year's salary And the average salary in the United States this past year was $50,000. So she is basically pouring $50,000 over the head and the feet of Jesus. It is her family inheritance. It is her life savings. It is her financial future and security. It would be the equivalent of you coming and emptying out your 401K and in one extravagant act of worship, giving it away to Christ in some way. Just like if you did that, there were people who looked at her when she did it and said she has lost her mind she's gone crazy. This makes no sense. And there were those around who sit sit and looked at her. Judas spoke up and said, think about all we could have done with this, but now it's gone. It's in a puddle at his feet. It's an extravagant act of worship. And it's over the top, but it is the bullseye. It is the target of what we are about. Worship and adoration and the exaltation of Jesus. He's more important than any ministry no matter how good or noble it is it is possible to worship the God of ministry instead of Jesus and if we're not careful we can help let a lot of things take the place of simply worshiping and exalting the name of Jesus we can become about tradition we can become about style we can become about ourselves and our way instead of worshiping Jesus Paul would say I consider everything rubbish to the fact of surpassing greatness of knowing Christ because in his mind it was all about Jesus so church what's your life all about people look at you and they say life's all about Jesus man they are about Jesus they worship him they're different because of him they sit at Jesus feet they welcome Jesus in they are about Jesus when the community thinks about our church is that what they say Man, those people, they lift up the name of Jesus. Those are people who have been changed by the grace of Jesus. They sit at his feet. They welcome him in. That place is all about Jesus. Several years ago, there was a movie called The Truman Show. And the movie's about a a guy named Truman who lives his whole life on TV when he's born as a little boy that takes his first breath, the cameras are there watching him and he basically becomes a reality show. Producers develop a show that he is centered in and he doesn't realize that everything around him is a TV set. It's all fake. Nothing around him is real. As he grows up, all of his classmates and schoolmates are actors. His teachers are actors. His best friend is an actor. His whole neighborhood set is, uh, is actors. He grows older. He begins to, to work and go to a local diner. Everybody in there, the waitresses, the customers, they're all actors. He gets married. His wife wife is an actress he grows up in a world where nothing is real it's a fake reality but people tune in to watch Truman live his life but over time Truman begins to see cracks in this fake reality and he begins to wonder is there not something more that is out there this can't be all there is life can't just be all about me there's something else out there And I want you to realize this morning that the enemy has created a fake world around us. It feels real, but every once in a while the kingdom of God will break in and we will realize there's something more than this. Life is not all about us. There's something else out there. The kingdom of God breaks in and reminds us there is a greater joy than this. The kingdom of God breaks in and reminds us there is a deeper love than this. And some of us live in this fake reality and life. Life is off target because we're living life with us at the center of it instead of living life in a real world where Christ is the center. Truman eventually becomes convinced that there is something more out there and he begins to pursue it he eventually gets in a boat and he begins to cross this great water that separates his world from everything else that he knows and the producers see him rowing to the end of the set and so they try to keep him from reaching the end of what he has known and so they send storms on him and rain on him and lightning trying to keep Truman from searching for truth and this real reality and finally, Truman gets to the edge and he hits the wall. And for the first time, Truman hears a voice, and it is the creator of the show. And Truman asks him, Who are you? And the voice responds and says, I am the creator. And then Truman asks, Who am I? And what he says back to Truman is the same lie that all of us have believed for most of our life. It's the same lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden. Because what the voice says back to Truman when he asks the question of, Who am I? the voice says, You are the star. So many times we live life like we're the star. We live our relationships like we're the star. It revolves around me. We go to work, we go to school, we come to church, and we think we're the star. It revolves around me, and if it's not what I want, not what I like, then things are not good. But you're not the star, and it's not about you there's no way you will ever receive Jesus and know his sacrificial love as long as you are the center of the bullseye it's only when we put Christ at the center and we realize that he is the star that life begins to be on target because it's not about you and it's not about me it is about an incarnated crucified resurrected ascended enthroned exalted triumphant glorified reigning lord jesus christ That's what it's about you know the interesting thing is the the worship band closes comes for our last song is mary always seems to be tar- on target And the reason why I think Mary's always on target in life, more so than Martha, even more so than Lazarus, is that every time you see Mary in Scripture, those three places, she's always at the feet of Jesus. At Bethany, when Martha's doing all that needs to be done, Mary's at the feet of Jesus. When Lazarus dies and she goes to Jesus, the Scripture says she falls at his feet. When her world is falling apart, she's at the feet of Jesus. And in John 12, when Lazarus has been raised and her heart is bursting with worship and praise and she doesn't know what to do, she's at the feet of Jesus whether you're on the mountaintop, in the valley, or you're just living a day-to-day life, life is never on target until you live at the feet of Jesus. Let's stand together, church.